It's Tuesday, August 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Delta variant of COVID-19 continues to cause surges in cases and hospitalizations across the country. In Florida, where we are seeing big spikes, hospitals are on the race to find open ICU beds. Coronavirus patients fill about 43% of ICU beds there, but when you combine this number with people going to hospitals for other ailments, it becomes hard to find enough space. In the Orlando area, hospital group Advent Health has even set up a mission control office to track open beds and reallocate resources where needed. Melanie Evans, hospital reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, one of the main storylines we heard throughout the pandemic were households getting new puppies. Whether it was to combat loneliness or give the kids something to do, pandemic puppies were all the rage. But on the other side of things, many were already dealing with aging pets. And through shutdowns and work-from-home setups, many took the time to say goodbye to beloved pets. Many got a chance to include them more in their new routines and also had to readjust those routines once they were gone. Jorge Ribas, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for another perspective on pandemic pet life. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm hearing from the director of my public hospital system. He's having to make decisions about which patients to be able to put in the ICU because of of a severe nurse shortage. Joining us now is Melanie Evans, hospital reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Melanie. Thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about the situation with hospitals right now. We're seeing the Delta variant spread all over the place, hospitalizations are rising in a lot of places. Florida in particular has seen just huge increases of cases and hospitalizations. They're reaching, uh, you know, their peak ICU beds are reaching their peak in a lot of places. For this story that you wrote recently, you focus on Advent Health. So they run a, a bunch of hospitals in the Orlando area and really kind of the complex logistical challenge that they go through. They have a whole mission control room, basically, dedicated to finding open hospital beds so that people can get the help they need. It's not just COVID that's overrunning the hospitals. There's a lot of people that just need regular help, you know, other procedures, things like that. And all of that together is causing a problem for the hospital. So, Melanie, help us walk through what we're seeing out there. That was a great summary. That's absolutely the case. I went to Orlando. Advent Health has a number of hospitals in Central Florida and around the Orlando area. They also have a number of freestanding emergency rooms. So those are exactly what they sound like, emergency rooms, but not attached to a hospital. And in the month of July, their emergency rooms had their busiest month this year. Their transfers, so that's moving patients around to get them where they need to be. They are at a pandemic record. And as you described, they are juggling not just a record number of COVID-19 hospitalizations, but patients who are coming to the hospital for other things, things like stroke or heart attacks. They have their regular routine business, which in hospitals is, can be extremely critical. And that, that is returned this year in a way that has kept them busy. And now they're facing the Delta surge on top of it. As I mentioned, uh, Advent Health kind of does this mission control room. You know, they have whole staff dedicated to finding open hospital beds within their hospital group. You know, there's about seven in the Orlando area. And you mentioned in the article, you know, they were having a meeting 
talking about what the capacity was. Six were beyond full capacity. One had a hundred and was full, one hundred and twenty three percent for adults. You know, yeah. so I mean, there's really no space there anymore. I want to get to what this all means for the hospital and for the care of patients. But describe to me first what this mission control does, how it works, because their tax and their thing, as I said, is really just finding open spaces for people. They're not even treating people. This is just finding the open space. Absolutely. They've got, if you can sort of picture a room with dozens of flat screen TVs or screens, I should say, you know, the flat screens mounted on the walls and those screens have information coming in from these seven hospitals. It is extremely immediate data. They described a six to seven second delay between when the information is kind of entered in the hospitals and when it appears on those boards. That kind of timely data has been lacking in the pandemic, not just within hospitals, but across hospitals. And that data has not been that timely between the, the hospitals and the public health and disaster response agencies that are trying to coordinate a response to this surge. So this mission control was interesting for that reason. They had this very, very timely data. And you're right. When I got there one of the days last week, I was watching them sort of start their day and six of the seven hospitals were above 100% capacity. And really what that meant was, and they had more than 90 patients across those hospitals waiting in emergency rooms. So what that meant was that they were trying to create new beds, so new places where they could put people, which really means they have to find the nurses and doctors to take care of those people. They actually did have some physical beds, but they weren't staffed to take care of patients. So what they're trying to do is find the staff where they can open some beds, and then they're looking across their hospitals trying to figure out who needs that bed the most. And that's where the mission control basically tries to work with doctors to triage the patients who need to get into those very few beds the fastest. And they do that with all of this data streaming in. And they've got a room full of people who are talking to doctors and coordinating the ambulance and flight dispatch. There's a small section of the room that's literally cordoned off, which is the flight dispatch team and their job is to send off helicopters when needed. So all of that work is pretty urgent for the sickest patients because those patients need to get to the specialized equipment and specialized staff of an ICU in a matter of hours, if not less. It's a huge undertaking. And you made note in the article as well, things change so quickly. They're getting almost real-time data. So You wake up one morning and one hospital is the focus because they need it. By the afternoon, end of the day, whatever, you know, it's another hospital that has gotten a surge now. And, uh, you know, obviously we talk about how it's COVID and other things, but about 43% of Florida's adult intensive care beds are filled up with coronavirus patients. And that's why people keep calling, hey, get the vaccine. You know, 99.9%, whatever the number is of people that have had the vaccine don't get severely ill, don't have to be hospitalized. But this is just a a clear example of how the system gets overtaxed. And then things happen, right? You mentioned transfers can't get done. For Advent Health, they had to cancel some surgeries because they had to dedicate more staffing other places. So these are all the effects of what happens after. So as a hospital gets, we've seen this throughout the pandemic, as hospital occupancy starts to rise, they try to adapt 
to make more space. And one of the ways they do that is they start canceling what they call non-essential procedures. Several doctors and nurses have said to me, just because it can wait doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be done. So some of the procedures that were postponed at Advent Health were procedures for children with seizures. Those procedures in some cases could wait, I was told, but for those children and their families, the wait matters. So hospitals have said pretty consistently that this is not an option that they would like to employ, but it gets to the point where they cannot put it off. They need to halt those surgeries in order to free staff to help out in other places. Exactly. And that rings true with other things that we saw throughout the pandemic, people putting off their own visits to the doctor and and surgeries and stuff because things were overcrowded. They didn't want to get COVID. So, I mean, this is just a look into one hospital system, but this is what's happening across the country as these hospitals do get overburdened with extra COVID patients. So we'll keep monitoring to see how all of that works out. Melanie Evans, hospital reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We're just too busy to do, especially during the weekdays, is, you know, going on walks through our neighborhood and bike rides and and just little hikes that we found in the park and things that we were trying to do because we couldn't, you know, do the other things during the the lockdown and during the pandemic. And we would take her with us. And and it really was like this really nice way to, to spend time with our dog again. Joining us now is Jorge Ribas, reporter and video journalist at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Jorge. Thank you for having me. I wanted to talk about, uh, it was kind of a sad story. I actually uh, got very emotional thinking about my old pet reading your story. But throughout the pandemic, we heard a lot of stories about the pet boom. You know, a lot of people adopting pets, uh, mostly dogs, because they were able to spend time at home. Everybody kind of, whether it was lockdowns or work from home structure, they were spending more time. They needed something for the kids. Whatever the myriad of reasons were, people were adopting pets. And while that was happening on one side, you know, other people that had aging pets, pets with ailments, were also able to spend a lot of time with them at home. And the story you wrote uh, is kind of a reflection on your dog, Riley. And you talked to a lot of other people that really just relished in having that time, that extra time to spend with their aging pets. So, Jorge, tell us a little bit about it, please. Yeah, that's that's so true what you just said. And 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 really that was kind of the the um inspiration for this story in our in our the post does a dan- an annual a dog issue. And um when we were looking for stories to do, um we were just in the midst of, of losing our dog Riley and and even on our street on our block we live in suburban Maryland, we had our neighbors getting puppies, you know, during this time. Like you mentioned people being home and having more time we have three kids at home and our schools, you know, schools uh, went remote, all activities ceased, um, sports and other things like that. My wife and I were both working from home and like a lot of our neighbors um, had time to spend. So we started seeing, you know, people getting puppies behind us. There was a puppy I mentioned in the story, our, our good friends and neighbors across the street from us got a new puppy as well. Um, but yeah, but we were home with, with our 13 year old. Um, I guess she would have been around 12 then when it, when the pandemic started boxer who in normal situations, you know, um, we would leave the house for all day long. And, and we had a dog walker who would come once a day, let her out to go, to go to the bathroom and take her on a short walk. 
but she was she was home most of the day um, while we went to work and to school. And being home, you know, there is a certain certain amount of of of, of grace in getting that time with her. Of, of when other times we'd be too busy to spend, and we started noticing like you know things that we we're just too busy to do, especially during the weekdays is, you know, going on walks through our neighborhood and bike rides and, and just little hikes that we found in the park and things that we were trying to do because we couldn't, you know, do the other things during the, the lockdown and during the pandemic. And we would take her with us. And, and it really was like this really nice way to, to spend time with our dog again. And, um, and then I talked to other people who had similar situations um, and reached out to, to some to some folks I found in, in in Reddit communities where people had lost dogs, and I talked to some grief counselors who put me in touch with with people that that were going through this. But almost everyone, you know, as as sad as it was to lose a pet during this time, um, felt grateful to have that time to be with them. And even if it was just, you know, like our dog wasn't at that point in her life wasn't you know, actively running and we weren't doing a lot of right. things, but she was just there on the couch, you know, behind us while we were doing zoom calls or our kids were on remote learning and school. And it just came as this routine of having her there, which felt very comforting. Right. And that's something that a lot of people we talked to also experienced, or I talked to also experienced. I mean, that's totally it, it right there, right? You, you go to work, you're not there for many hours of the day, but when things get flipped upside down and they are there so long, that extra visibility it means a little bit more and, and obviously not to diminish anybody who lost a person, a family member throughout the pandemic, but a lot of time for pet lovers, you know, losing a pet just hits differently, you know, and it makes you reflect on different things somehow. So it, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely, I got to spend a lot more time with my dog. He's like one or two, I mean, he's two years old right now. So we had him when he was one. So he kind of was growing up through all this, but uh, I, you know, I reading your story, I remember my old pup, you know, and, and when he yeah. was older and, and, getting on his years and, and passing away and everything. And yeah, it just really, it hits you differently a lot of times. So tell me about some of the stories that other people felt, uh, you know, they sell, you know, the, the effect of what happens after, right? Because they pass away and a lot of people said they felt untethered was a word that I pulled out from the article. They didn't know what to do anymore because, you know, that daily routine was gone now. Right. And, and so I talked to, um, uh, a grief counselor named Jessica Coral um, from Washington, D.C., and she, she used that term. And it was this feeling that one of the people I talked to, um, Megan McCormack, she was in Perth, Australia, and she lost her, her border terrier, Briarly. And just this feeling of not, you, you get in your routine, right? And, and, and you know, whether it's, it's letting the dog out in the morning and, and feeding, the, feeding the dog and going on a walk and feeling that, um and Coral described this feeling of, of not knowing what to do with yourself when that presence is there. Um, and it was heightened by just being home all the time, you know, and, and not having something to sort of distract us from that grief. Um, in another situation, you know, you may lose a pet, but you still have to go to work. You still have to go to school. You still have to get the kids ready to go to school or do something else. But, but here you were just home and, that daily routine of, of, of spending time with your dog sort of made you feel like you weren't really sure what to do. And, um, you know, for, for um, one of the people I talked to, Julia Renicki, who's a, a stock clerk uh, for food retailer in, in, in Germany, mentioned that, that she kept looking. She'd come down and kept looking. Um, she had her dog, Yuna, die, and she kept looking for the dog to be there. 
And I, I, you know, I felt that sort of too. And my wife and I talked about that too, where our dog had this, um, Riley had this, this sort of a tick she would do. Um, she couldn't walk up our stairs. So she'd wake up in the morning and kind of go to the end of the stairs and shake her head. And you'd hear this like flopping of the ears. Um, it was almost like an alarm clock. And I knew I get one of us had to get up and let her outside <laughs> right. to, go, to go outside. And, and you didn't hear that. And it was, it was weird, you know, and your, your brain was almost like used to that and, and that sound. And um, yeah. And so you kind of like, because we were just so, you know, for us, at least we were just so tethered to our homes that, you know, that feeling of not having that around us was, was sort of untethered. Um, and, and you also mentioned before, like, right. Like, you know, the people have lost loved ones, you know, and so many people have lost so much during this pandemic. So this isn't a story to, to, to kind of compare these two, but right. one of the, one of the um, grief counselors I talked to Khalil uh, Sakakini mentioned how that, 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 a, a death of a pet almost heightened this this feeling of grief that we've all had through this pandemic. So for some people, he some of the, the clients he talked to, they may have had another love, a, a, a human loved one pass, and the death of the pet sort of brought about all these feelings that they had been kind of holding on to um, throughout the pandemic. And he, and he saw that a lot with the clients he talked to. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy many stories about pets and and I saw the headline that you had for for your article and I knew right away it was something I want to talk about as as you mentioned you know not to diminish anything else this is but this is um some perspective right on the other right. side of things that were happening throughout the pandemic as we mentioned at the beginning pandemic puppies it was a huge boom for the pet industry all that stuff but this is yeah. uh, the other how pets were affected how we were affected through a lot of those closures and stuff. And that, that is that other flip side, you know, people went through this also in their loneliness and their isolation and the craziness of kids being at home. This was the other stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I, I have to say, I, I really felt the emotion <laughs> in your writing when yeah, you were talking about yeah. Riley a lot. It, you know, it, it means something to kind of connect with that. Cause a lot of people go through that same thing. Yeah. I mean, people were home, you know, and, and we were home with our pets and, and that was one thing that in, in a lot of the, the people I talked with and especially people that were, that were home alone, right? That were, that were, that, you know, were, their pets became their companion through this really difficult time that we've all experienced. And that companionship you had with, I mean, we, we have it, you know, it's structured in this story around dogs because this is our dog issue, but it, it you know, we talked about other pets as well with some, some of the folks I talked to, cats, uh, birds, you know, people felt this very strong connection just because they were home so much and with them. And, and right, it just, pandemic sort of heightened these losses but at the same time like you said like there's a great having this great grateful for the time that you had to spend with this with this important being in your life it's a really great story a very personal story i suggest everybody go out and check it out uh, read it and then you can find out uh, you know what happened to riley and all that stuff but just a, a, a great look into all of this jorge ribas reporter and video journalist at the washington post thank you very much for joining us Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. 
I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.